Puerto Rico should be helped not because we're U.S. citizens. It's because there's a political situation and the U.S. is responsible for Puerto Rico. I think Puerto Rico should pursue energy self-sufficiency as well. And uh, that should be the first step to decolonize Puerto Rico. If we can agree that we should be, regardless of our political views and the future of the island, and we think that Puerto Rico should, should be decolonized, let's do it. This is the right time to decolonize Puerto Rico by seeking and promoting energy self-sufficiency and not what Bishop is doing who wants to per perpetuate the model of fossil fuels and the natural gas industry and dirty coal and, and things that are not right for the planet, they're not right for Puerto Rico. Hello, I'm Junius Williams, host of Everything's Political. And what you just saw was a short version of what you're going to get more of on this podcast. That was our guest, Arturo Masol de Ya from Puerto Rico, the, from the municipality of Ajunches, which is up in the mountains. And the context for that clip that you saw was a congressional delegation coming to Puerto Rico, including the now famous and all outgoing chair of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi. I also saw my friend Sheila Jackson Lee in there. And what he was doing was telling it like it is. So we're going to talk to him today about some of the same matters that he raised to the congressional delegation. The subtext is the relationship between the United States and the Puerto Rican people, but it also has to do with how communities raise money to do their own solar projects, which is why it fits very neatly into our theme, where's the money? We're going to talk to him about where he gets the money, but I want people out there to understand. You see, when we think of Puerto Rico, we think about uh, miles and miles of seacoast, beautiful beaches, beautiful people, nice food. It's a, it's a tourist delight, but people live there, lots of people. And what we're going to talk about is the community's response to changing the energy landscape. Arturo is going to tell you a little bit about his organization, but I'm going to say that it's called Casa Pueblo. It's a nonprofit organization. He is a university professor educated on the island, but also in the United States proper. And after the impact of Hurricane Maria, throughout Puerto Rico on September 20th, 2017, Arturo and his people got together and said, we need to have a community aid response that aims to change the energy landscape of a country dependent on fossil fuels to one based on renewable energy sources. So with that, doctor, what can you tell us about your organization, and about the relationship between the United States government and Puerto Rico. Hi, it is my pleasure to be here and to engage into this conversation with you. So thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to share what we have been doing from the community point of view up in the mountains in Adjuntas, Casa Pueblo. For you that 
are not fully aware of the situation with Puerto Rico, we are an island nation in the Caribbean. And in 1898, it was taken from the Spanish, from being a Spanish colony. It was uh, the U.S. Navy that took over during the Hispano-American War. And we have been a U.S. territory ever since. So we are a colony, period. They can uh, mask the political reality of Puerto Rico, but all of the political power resides at the U.S. Congress. We might have a local government, but I mean, it's for local administrative purposes. The main issues are not decided in Puerto Rico. And yet the relationship with the U.S. have been growing ever since. And I can tell you that more than half of our people are living already in the U.S. Initially, they moved to New York, Hawaii, Chicago, but there's a, a big Puerto Rican community that we don't call ourselves Puerto Rican-American. If you ask Puerto Rican in the U.S., they will name themselves just Puerto Ricans. So that is how strong our cultural identity, our genetic identity, our cultural identity, our geographical identity with the island in the Caribbean, Puerto Rico, is all about it. In Casa Pueblo, we have been organized for 42 years. So we have been defending the land from unsustainable proposals like an open street mining, mega mining proposal in the 80s. But we evolved right away from the protesting part to proposing alternative and, and assuming the responsibility of those proposals. So that's how we like to, to use our energy. We have a cultural center. We have a radio station, a lot of educational programs. We have a school of music, a choir, arts a school being built inside a forest, and many, many services that are provided to the community, always promoting community self-determination. Puerto Rico cannot self-determine at the island level because of this political relationship. But the question is, can we exercise somehow social power to engage in self-determination activities and that has to be by breaking the model of dependency, economical dependency, energy dependency, and many others. That's what Casa Pueblo is all about. You know, these storms that have come recently have uh, underlined a lot of what you have said in the minds of a lot of my Puerto Rican friends. Not only the culture from the standpoint of what we think about the Spanish speaking, the music, etc., but people are saying, we got to do something on our own because we're not getting what we need to get. And the reason I wanted to do Puerto Rico is to point that out to folks. Actually, it reminds me the whole storm situation and how that impacted upon the culture reminded me of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans in 2005 with all of those people. And the president of the United States saying, I sent somebody down there and that somebody wasn't doing a damn thing, whoever it was, I forget his name. And it just seemed to me that Hurricane Fiona and the one before that, Maria, just underlined the whole thing. You're not getting what you should be getting as citizens of the United States of America. Yeah, it's a complicated relationship, let's say. 
and it's very unfair. The political decisions are basically hosted at the U.S. Congress, and the money that is being allocated to Puerto Rico here and there is basically dictating the agenda. And that agenda is shifting all the time based on what people in D.C. are thinking about and resources that are available. It's not like we are engaging into a national agenda of what should be done in Puerto Rico in long terms and sustain that path. It's always changing from here and there. And that's part of the problem. What we have seen is that the administrative framework the government, the local government is collapsing. Colonialism has collapsed in Puerto Rico because it's highly corrupted. It's highly corrupted because they are basically administrating money here and there again without any long-term commitment with Puerto Rico's future. And uh, that has to change. We need to see Puerto Rico in a different way. And the relationship, which is there, is real needs to be redefined somehow. Hurricane knocks out power in Puerto Rico. Warnings of mudslides. That's uh, one headline from the New York Times on September 19th of this year. Then it says, Fiona's fury fractures Puerto Rico's shaky grid. Another headline. What makes the system so vulnerable? And that's what you guys do, isn't it? You add to the solution. So let's talk about the problem a little bit, about the grid. Yeah, that issue that you raise is very important. The energy system, which is based on centralized fossil fuel power plants dependent upon transmission and distribution lines, that set up to power Puerto Rico is kind of obsolete, is based on 20th century, let's say, way of thinking. But when you're confronting climate change and the reality of hurricanes and the strength of the hurricanes and the magnitude of how that heat is actually complicating these storms with heavy rains, prolonged rain events, landslides, and so on, it's very difficult for us in the Caribbean to confront that reality, we have to build climate adaptation as we are moving forward. But the issue with Puerto Rico is even more complicated in the way that we have been going through that colonial collapse of the institutions and the relationship. And we are confronting this period of economical crisis for a long time, like 10 years. And what had been done is that the power authority had been was disinvested for a long time. And when Hurricane Maria came in 2017, of course, the system collapsed. Uh, In our community, we were the last 30% where energy was restored after the storm. Some areas up to a year or more without power. Imagine that living in Puerto Rico and all all of the consequences on, on food, health, care, and all the basic services for people who live in remote areas. So because it was disinvested, you see all of the consequences. And I think about Katrina, pretty much the same. Because it was disinvested, it was used as an excuse, what happened after Maria, to privatize the public utility. 
so that this investment paid off, let's say, with their political views to take away the public utility and people were really angry at them. And it was used as an excuse to privatize the utility. And now it's in private hands and it's worse than before. So <laughs> it's where you see how, you know, disaster capitalism, let's say we are being, we have been suffering from that. Is a real issue. Arturo, as I'm listening to this, one of the things that keeps popping in my brain is this feels like something that everybody should know about. There seems to be some headlines about it, but is this regular conversation in your community or is this conversation only happening in spaces like your organization? And it sounds like you're doing quite a bit of work to propel the conversation. Yeah, I think it's... It's been discussed somehow, but not at the level that should be. I think uh, people that understood the, I mean, the understanding of the relationship with the U.S. before, there was a denial, you know, like, oh, no, we're not a colony. Oh, we are not halfway citizens. I mean, the relationship with the U.S. is perfect. But now I think across the board, regardless of ideological belief, people are kind of, they know the control fiscal board, the imposition of PROMESA. And and we know we are a U.S. territory and we're fine with some issues, but it's not so good for others. And the discussion is happening, but not in the way that it should. I don't think that that I get this kind of opportunity to talk about this, how deep, you know, the political party is important for the context of everything that is happening and actually on everything that we're doing. Because what we're doing is based on that context that not everyone will understand why we're so committed to do what we're doing. So you said PROMESA, that's the private organization that now owns the electrical grid? No, PROMESA is a a legislation from the U.S. Congress in 2000, I think, uh, 13, that imposed a controlled fiscal board upon Puerto Rico. And we have been subjected to their impositions. Talk about that. These are seven elected people from the U.S. Congress and the U.S. president. They impose this structure that is above the government. We don't vote for them. We don't have representation, but they do take decisions related to Puerto Rico. And we have to pay for that. It's not like the U.S. Congress is paying for their appointed Officials is like, we have to pay millions of dollars and they have to restructure the debt, but they can overturn any legislation that is approved in Puerto Rico. They have to see it. And if they don't like it, they will say no. So it's colonialism one-on-one. I mean, it's going back to the basic. It's very uncomfortable. It's very, I mean, too much in your face of this colonial relationship. And the austerity measurements that have been imposed to somehow uh, to repay the debt of Puerto Rico. So they have been cutting at the university, healthcare, schools have been shut down, hundreds of them. And all of the austerity measurements are not related only to power. I mean, it's related to everything. And as they're doing that and putting more economical pressure on Puerto Rico, they're facilitating legislation that has created a fiscal paradise for rich people in the U.S. 
that they don't pay taxes in the U.S. and they don't pay taxes in Puerto Rico either. And the gentrification process and displacement of local communities in Puerto Rico is something that is happening right now. And related to money, it's very difficult to compete because if people are already wealthy, <laughs> they don't pay taxes, they get all the benefits and privilege, and then you have the local people who can't afford to pay the same way. We don't have the tools to actually acquire land or buildings, and the displacement is happening at a very rapid speed. Gentrification is a huge issue here in Puerto Rico, and it's creating some social tension already. I was in Vieques in March, and I saw that. That was very apparent that a lot of uh, folks from the United States proper are coming to Vieques for all of that beautiful island splendor. Vieques is a smaller island. Well, you can tell us. Tell us about Vieques. Oh, but but you're doing well. Is this small island municipality that was used by the U.S. Navy for 60 years for bombing activities, and now they left in 2003? It's highly contaminated, some areas, but but it's a beautiful island. <laughs> and uh, if you're thinking about gentrification, that will be a good example of what is going on in Puerto Rico. Culebra, another island municipality near Vieques is the same thing. Rincón, which is a municipality in the west side of the island, there's some places that if you speak in Spanish, they will not let you in. It's, I mean... <laughs> Imagine you in Puerto Rico, I mean, me in Puerto Rico not being able to go in, in in Puerto Rico to a restaurant because it's all for Americans or English-speaking people. And uh, I mean, that's very disgusting. I mean, that's the wrong path. That's building a Puerto Rican for others, not for us. <laughs> it's not for the well-being of local people. It's like things that are happening is for the well-being of others which is not only scary, it's very unjust. It's something that has to be denounced. I mean, we have to, that has to be understood, not only in Puerto Rico, but in the U.S., of the consequences of colonialism on our island and our people. So where is the money? That's the question. And you just pointed out where that money is and it looks like it's uh it's going way beyond what I thought. I mean, if you can't even speak Spanish when you go to the restaurant in Rincon, my goodness, that's uh that's way out there. So tell us about Casa Puebla. What are you guys doing to correct this imbalance of power? Just in general, and then you can talk about we can ease into your whole solar project, which is really what I heard about when I first contacted you. Yeah. Well, in Casa Pueblo, uh, it was founded by my parents, Alexis and Tinti de Ya. And right now, let's say we have this organization that provides a lot of services. We have an art gallery, the radio station, as I said, a butterfly garden. We are managing two forests, Bosque del Pueblo and Bosque La Olimpia. We have camping area. But everything we do is about breaking that model of dependency. So it's based on volunteer work. So it's people around the community that got together. 
We don't work with politicians. We don't work with political parties because the idea is to work across the island, across trans-ideological. And we know that we have to get together to protect the forest because water security is based on the forest. So that's something that everyone in Puerto Rico can relate to, uh, the arts, the culture. And now energy is becoming a big issue. Everything we do is also about breaking the money, the economical dependency. So we have been selling our own brand of coffee, Café Madre Isla. It's sort of like our baseline economic activity that allow us to have our own voice to generate enough income to feed many of these projects and to seed a new initiative. We get support from others like volunteers, donators, uh, donors. Uh, we have some philanthropic groups, people in the diaspora that they know what we are doing. And all of a sudden we're getting support, like fueling what we're doing in Casa Pueblo to have a broader reach. So that's part of what we're doing. And as we're doing that, we're addressing issues of entertainment, communication, education, health, economic activation, climate adaptation, protection of natural resources, culture, and many issues. So we have diversified throughout the years from protesting, mining, to now using our energy to address so many issues for social transformation to build up an alternative adjuntas as a reference of what Puerto Rico could be doing as well. From protest to power, <laughs> that's really what you're doing. Uh, we talked last time in our season two, we were talking about different elements of how you organize, and uh, you've got a real good model there because you started off by trying to stop bad things and then you collected your resources and switched gears. And I try to tell people in my class that I used to run at Rutgers that that's a whole different thing. You have to have different skills. You have to, protesting is one thing, but when you start building community, tell us how you made that switch, that transition. That's the real challenge because it's easy to point out that someone is thinking the wrong way and proposing something that is not right. Another thing is to think about your own alternative and build up, assuming the responsibilities to build up those proposals. That's a real challenge. As we were fighting my, the mining proposal, we had only one person showing up in our first protest. Many pol policemen around the main square, one person protesting with us. <laughs> Political repression has been there for, from the very beginning. At that point, we realized that science by itself, knowledge that something is going to be bad, that like we know right now that climate change is a reality and all of the issues related to that, that knowledge doesn't change anything unless you do something active to transform that reality. So everything we do is based on science, knowledge, culture and community to promote social transformation. That's our social equation for everything we do. And you will see it like everywhere. As we were fighting mining, we, I mean, it took us 15 years to stop that from happening. And during that process, we realized that there were other issues in the community that were more present, more 
direct. And we said, you know, we're defending the land from the mining, but we have to address other issues in the community. And that's how we started getting activated. We said, oh, we need a permanent place to get organized. That's how Casa Pueblo was initiated, getting the house, the old house, fixing that house, thinking that an art gallery was a good idea. We need artists for that. And then we thought that, that education was critical. So we started with, with different programs and we learned that, well, I mean, we confronted that we needed money to actually do all of those issues. So that's how Cafe Madre Isla became the solution at that time for our economical self-sufficiency. So that's your coffee, right? Our coffee, yeah. And now when we were thinking in future generations, I was a kid. I went to school. I got my PhD at Michigan State. I came back. And the same thing with other people within the community. So our there's a geographical definition of where Casa Pueblo is located, but our definition of communities is very broad. And because the way we're doing and approaching things is not think, seeking political gains. We're not thinking about contracts with the government and money for ourselves because of those issues are out of the equation. We have a lot of people with good intention, great knowledge and commitment getting around and helping us. We have been learning as we're moving forward. And that capacity to learn and to adapt and to propose alternative requires uh, to engage with other people and reflection and commitment. And we have been doing that for 40 years. When you, you use the word hour a lot, and it's really beautiful to hear, hear it be an hour and not an I, but when you say hour and you're speaking about the groups of people that you're working with or who are part of the organization, can you tell us a little bit more about who those people are or what makes up that hour? Because a lot of times folks, like these organizations will feel kind of distant and it's hard to see ourselves as part of them. Yeah. It- Everything that I do (laughs) is actually in our context because there's a lot of people participating, the people who are at the radio station, the technical people. And then you have people that are in Casa Pueblo. We're open seven days a week and we have created jobs. And we have the school teacher, the music teacher, the one that is directing the choir. We have artists working in Casa Pueblo. We're serving the community and they're getting engaged and participating in in everything we're doing. We have a broad board of directors, including people at different universities. And then we're working with people in the diaspora. We feel and we think they're part of what we're doing. So when I'm saying our uh, initiative includes people who are in Adjuntas, at Casa Pueblo and the different projects, but also in Puerto Rico. And some that they know are contributing to everything we're doing. So, yeah, that's a very important question. So from your model, and I'm listening to what you're saying, and you have a textbook model of how to organize people and also how to grow that organization. You started with obvious things that people needed and would resonate with, such as the art, such as the education. And then you use that opportunity to educate people so they could take on the bigger issues like the mining. Would that be safe to say? 
we started with the with the conflict being a, a minority, marginalized minority. At that point, I have to tell you, like there was some sort of a consensus of doing the mining. The discrepancy was under which political condition to do it. So stay under the statehood. Some people stated that mining was going to be useful for the Republic of Puerto Rico. So even if you were from the left or from the right, it was like, let's do mining at some point. We from the community and the people from the community in general, I mean, we were going to take all the burden, the destruction of the land, the destruction of the water. Growing coffee will be impossible with that reality. And at that point, we decided, you know, the ecological ideas, the values of the ecological services from that area, the integrity of the land for the people who live in that area is more important than any, you know, political ideology on under which circumstance do the mining. So we opposed at that time, and that's how we got so marginalized. We were a minority at first, but we were even more of a minority because of that statement at first. But that was very important because that's how we built eventually. We're not a minority anymore related to open street mining. People now understand the value of water and the forest and all the ecological services. The same thing happened with the energy infrastructure. In 1999, 23, 24 years ago, we decided to do this humble solar installation when we started managing Bosque del Pueblo because we said, you know, we have to back up our ideas with actions. If we're managing state land forest, the greatest threat to natural resource conservation and for the conservation of biodiversity on this planet is to confront the fossil fuel economy, period. So we decided to establish that solar installation. It was very expensive, not cost effective, according to some other people, but it was the greatest investment that we have done because we learned, we got into this process of adaptation to the technology. We were experimenting with the technology as well. We upgraded and now we have a fully solar operation, but that's how we started with the energy insurrection, the way we call it to build up energy independence for the island. We were a minority in 1999 as well with the alternative. And that's how be our life, becoming ideas that are, are not mainstream ideas for the government or the way the economy is being run in Puerto Rico and using science, culture, and community to transform that reality. And we have seen changes, not from the top down, not from politicians or from the government. We see it, not only Casa Pueblo, I mean, in other aspects in Puerto Rico, like the confrontation with the U.S. Navy at Vieques at some point, with the mining, with the energy issue, with culture, with the protection of natural resources. It's mostly social power, people engaging and assuming responsibilities in different locations for different topics are important for society and developing alternative models and proposals and actions and way of thinking that are helping Puerto Rico to survive, to keep Puerto Rico viable for Puerto Ricans in the future, even though we are confronting that many 
problems, economical problems, climate problems, political problems. I mean, the challenges are everywhere, but the opportunities and the models and the references are out there as well. So how did you get the money to start your investment with solar energy? Solar panels is what you said, I believe. Yeah. How did you get started with that? People need to know that in communities everywhere because the sun is everywhere. How did you guys do it? You know, The mother was necessity because you had all of this blackout, brownouts, all of these things. The power grid was antiquated, wasn't being fixed. That propelled you. But how did you get the money? So... For the first installation that was upgraded in 2017 before Hurricane Maria that gave Casa Pueblo the capacity to produce power at the point of consumption for the radio station, for the house and all the operation, energy storage for operation as well. We never had confronted a power outage in Casa Pueblo, not with Hurricane Maria, not with Fiona, because we're producing energy where it's needed. (laughs) on the rooftop of this infrastructure. And everything that is related to that infrastructure, the benefits are already for the community itself. That was sponsored by Casa Pueblo itself, by Café Madre Isla. We have engineers, our own engineers. We have an electrical engineer from the University of Puerto Rico that is part of our board of directors. So we get knowledge, we get support in one way, and the economical part for the infrastructure that was initially from Casa Pueblo. After Hurricane Maria, what we have been doing is the landscape energy transformation process. And we have done over 300 installations, including more than 100 houses that requires energy security for health reasons, people who with chronic diseases that needs dialysis or or respiratory treatment, or requires to store medication and so on. We have done many of them. We have done grocery stores in rural communities for food security. We have done restaurants, La Lechonera Solar, for example, for prepared meals that were very important after the earthquake sequence of 2020. We have done critical infrastructure. The fire station is operating with solar power because communities, we promoted that. And we made that happen. We have done the elderly home. We have done businesses for economic activation, the barbershop, the pharmacy. I mean, like dozens of them. We have done the radio station, the transmission tower for communications. And we even built a solar cinema for the service of the community. And after Hurricane Fiona, for example, we confronted another power outage in Puerto Rico for weeks. And yet, our radio station was on. People were going to the solar cinema for free. The barber, he kept working, earning his weight of life because he was producing his own power. The fire station was getting calls for rescue missions elsewhere in in Puerto Rico because they had power and the calls were getting through at Juntas. And from there, they were coordinating rescue missions by alternative means of communication. So we were not safe completely from Hurricane Fiona, but we were in a better position to respond, to bounce back, to regain some normality within that crisis. And for many of those projects, 
what we have been getting is people who are supporting Casa Pueblo for those special projects. Foundations like Empowered by Light from San Francisco that help us with the fire station. The Alex Hono Foundation, he's a climber. He has the Alex, the Hono Foundation helping solar projects everywhere in the planet. He learned about Casa Pueblo and he approached Casa Pueblo. It's not like, like we're going out. <laughs> we're getting calls in and say, oh, I want to help Casa Pueblo on what you're doing. Oxfam America. Puerto Ricans in the diaspora, LA for Puerto Rico was a group of Puerto Ricans in LA that got organized. They raised money and they said, we're not going to send that money to the government because it's going to be mishandled and they know how corrupted they are. We're going to be helping directly people who are helping the community. And it's not Casa Puebla. I, I mean, we're places in Puerto Rico that you had social organization groups the responses were very different to places that you don't have that social structure. And Casa Pueblo was able to gain resources that got amplified by many ways. If you think about how money is being used from the community point of view, and it gets amplified, we don't get profit from there. We don't have indirect cost. People will add to the pocket, <laughs> And you have for, for one house, now you're doing two. And so you get a lot of synergy when you are in this kind of context. And this is opposed to the way money has been allocated by the U.S. Congress to Puerto Rico. We have been governed like with this illusion that we're getting money and money and tons of money and billions of dollars from the U.S., Oh, that's for, for roads. This is for health. This is for here and there. But when you see how much money has been allocated, for example, for the power authority, and they said $13 billion, $13 billion. And when you look around where that money is, <laughs> well, for each dollar, you have, let's say, 40% indirect cost by federal agencies that are managing the money. And then because all the compliance with the federal process is 15, 20% more expensive. And then they use that money to buy all the supplies in the U.S. And they send those resources to Puerto Rico in U.S. vessels, which is the most expensive ones in, in the planet. And they hire U.S. labor force and U.S. companies that managing the money. And when you see how that money is translated in impacts, the direct impacts on Puerto Rico is a fraction. It's actually those allocations are being have been activating the U.S. economy, not the Puerto Rican economy. That money that has been allocated that they say, oh, no, we're spending money in Puerto Rico. No, you're not spending money in Puerto Rico. You're spending money, the U.S. money that has been allocated to Puerto Rico is being expended and it, the return of that money to the U.S. economy is almost right away. It's almost immediate. And the impact on Puerto Rico is good. You have the cables and the poles and you have something fixed, which is fine, I think is good, but it's just a fraction. And people are getting this illusion that we, I mean, with all the, all the money that has been allocated to Puerto Rico is for all of us to be millionaires right now. <laughs> And you don't see it. That's actually the conversation we just had is 
about what happens when we just give the dollars back to the citizens and let let us individually live. But a question that I had as we're talking about money and funding is as your work is growing, as more people are becoming interested in the work that you're doing and want to help support it, how are you looking at your sources of contributions or who might want to donate to the work? Do you feel any pressure to kind of check the sources? Do you feel pressure to make sure folks are coming into the space with the right intentions? Yeah, it's not that easy when you're on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. We have to say no to those that we can, that will compromise and we know we'll compromise what we're doing. We'll not take that money. We have to say no to, I can tell you, because I'm managing part of that, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like we say no, basically. Thank you, but but no. Checking for the source of money is not that easy, but we are not using that money for Casa Pueblo. It's for the special projects and it's impacting directly the community. So it's being used right away. But yes, there's a lot of pressure. The one that I'm feeling more is in the long term. I mean, like you have to support the community with a long-term commitment. In my case, as we, you know, my parents are getting older, me as well. (laughs) We have put all of the resources of Casa Pueblo in a trust that belongs to Puerto Rico. But we need financial security for the next generation as well. So we have like a trust that will generate some basic income, recurrent income that will allow Casa Pueblo to keep going, even if we are here or not. We're getting donations directly by people through tools that we have in casapueblo.org. So if people want to support directly with money, we have gotten, I mean, without asking. And I can show you, you know, like after Fiona, we never ask for money. And we got like, I don't know, like $60,000. I mean, it's not huge, but it's significant to what we're doing by the kindness of people who they know what we're doing and wanted to help. And that solidarity is actually a driving force on what we're doing. I think along the way, we have perhaps made some mistakes, but we're we're not afraid to, to I mean, to move forward. <laughs> we know we're going to get hurt as we're moving So what does it cost to build a solar system for one house, one unit? And how many units do you have wired at this point? Yeah, for one of these houses is like eight, nine thousand dollars each. What we're promoting is fifty percent fifty with sun, like fifty percent of the total energy demand being met by solar power at the point of consumption, at this point, to guarantee basic loads, the fridge, the lighting, communication, and medical equipment. So if you have like an AC unit or you have the big TV, I mean, we're going to be helping you for the critical loads. If something happened, energy storage for that. (laughs) And that's how you can reduce the cost of one of these installations. You have to get people educated. Many of these installations will be kind of automatic that if power from the central utility gets is not there, 
energy will be used from the batteries, but only for those critical loads. And uh, it's to save the battery, which is the expensive part. The solar generation is quite easy. So we have done over 100 of those. Now we're doing a microgrid in downtown Adjuntas, and we're almost to be done with that project with Alex Hono as well. This is downtown Adjuntas with the highest energy demand, and most jobs are created. Basic services like the pizza place, the hardware store, you have the pharmacy and basic small business that are owned by local people. We're doing this to reduce the basic cost, operational cost for economic activations. But the idea is to go after the place with the highest energy demand in Adjunta. So we have an intention to be disruptive to the fossil fuel industry. That's part of the equation. But that money that the business owners, they're going to pay the energy bill to themselves as they got organized. So that microgrid is going to be owned by the local business community and they're going to pay to themselves for the electrical bill. That money collectively will be used for operation and maintenance. It's going to be used as an emergency fund if something happens to have resources to respond. But that money, most of that will be used for social reinvestment to generate wealth associated to power generation and that money to be used to help low-income families also reach energy security. So it's to break that model of dependency. Alex Honnold is helping us, and we're happy with that. But the idea is to build up something that can generate local resources to power the transformation from the inside out. So we're thinking all the time on how to break dependencies. And of course, we need support. We're happy with that. That solidarity is very important, but you cannot perpetuate that either. For example, we got solar lamps after Hurricane Maria, 14,000 of them from the diaspora. And we were happy. We said, don't send money to Casa Pueblo. We want solar lamps. We want to educate people as we're managing the crisis. That was five years ago. With Hurricane Fiona, it's not like we went out to ask people in the diaspora to send us solar lamps. No, no, we had already in Casa Pueblo solar lamps to be deploy right away after Hurricane Fiona. And for the next time, we're working with the University of Puerto Rico because we want to build those solar lamps. So in the future, we're going to learn and gain the capacity to build the solar lamps ourselves. That will be the next step as we're moving forward and using knowledge to break dependency support at some point. It's not charity. Charity perpetuates reality. What we are promoting is solidarity that has the intention to change that reality. And we are living up to that, to that mentality that my mother, actually, Tinti de Jade, founder, imposed upon us. Solidarity all the time. Well, I'm looking at the clock, and we could go on forever. I think the next step, I didn't even ask you about the climate bill, but you explained your relationship to federal monies by talking about what happens to that dollar and how it gets kind of whittled down. So maybe that's for another conversation. We can talk about that in general. But I think, Francesca, we're going to have to come up there. We're going to have to come to see you. 
Oh, yeah. And maybe do a part two. Absolutely. Once we get there, how's your Spanish, Francesca? It's better when I'm in it. That's <laughs> You have to do a show on our radio station. We can do it by email. <laughs> okay. We're going to do that. Listen out, folks. We're coming to Ajuntas. And right now, it's been our pleasure to talk to you. You have been a wealth of inspiration. That's exactly what has happened. I hope some of the people out there listen to this place, listen to what they're doing there with the probably started with zero dollars. And just how did you get your first grant, by the way? I've said we were going to stop, but I got to find out. How did you get the first grant? Because that's the question people are going to ask. I have a new book called Democracy and Energy. And I, I share that <laughs> everything. It's going to be translated into English by the University of Notre Dame. That's on their way. But we got a phone call, basically. People have been calling us. They know what we're doing. And uh, I was in the middle of the airport getting some supplies for the community. And I got a phone calls from someone at New York to say, we have allocated this amount of money for Casa Pueblo to do whatever you want. We trust the community and your knowledge and your commitment at what you're doing. And we're going to support you. And after that, all the people have been doing the same. It's very weird. But I think it's, it's the action. It's what is being done that creates a reputation and that commitment that builds um, trust. And people kind of trust what we have been doing. We have been blessed with that. <laughs> Thank you. You have been a blessing to us. And uh, we're going to see you in Puerto Rico. Bye-bye. Take care. This is Junius Williams, your host on Everything's Political. Everything's Political podcast is sponsored by the Center for Education and Juvenile Justice and supported by the Terrell Foundation and listeners like you. It is produced by Mosaic Strategies with theme music by Anthony Ant Jackson. Like what you hear? Subscribe to Everything's Political podcast on Spotify and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for exclusive behind-the-scenes content.